0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Singer Equipment Company provides industry-leading service to restaurants nationwide. Whether you're expanding or upgrading or just need a partner to help navigate supply chain challenges, Singer Equipment Company is here for you. Visit singerequipment.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over eight thousand restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com/hrn today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com/hrn.
2: Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It is Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. This is our 320th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a world-renowned writer on politics, culture, and trends, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to take deep dives. Be ready, willing, and able to dive into subject matters that are of most interest in order to develop a true understanding of their concept issue or even problem. Deep dives can teach us everything, or almost everything, there is to know about a situation, allowing us to analyze each angle and discover the best solutions. So let's do our research, ask questions, investigate, and dive deep when duty calls. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm really excited to have my guest joining me. It is Alan Salkin. He is a world renowned writer on politics, culture, and trends. Alan is the author or co author of three books, including From Scratch, The Uncensored History of the Food Network, and he's the reporter behind numerous memorable articles in major newspapers and magazines, as well as a frequent guest on news programs and in documentaries. Alan's cover article in the December 2016 issue of Vanity Fair, From Vegan Food Queen to Fugitive, told the wrenching story of Sarma Mangalese suggesting that the Wharton-educated businesswoman might have fallen into a coercive control relationship with a gambling addict. Alan is featured throughout the documentary, Bad Vegan, Fame, Fraud, Fugitives, about the case, the number one show on Netflix in March 2022, and he filed a third Vanity Fair article about it. And we are going to dive deep into all of that. But without further ado, hi, Alan, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, Sherry. Do you know why this sucks? why because in most i used to do these at the back room of uh, the pizza place and we get free pizza
2: yes it's and i used to do most of my shows out there too and um take it a little for granted but i'll tell you what when next time you're in new york i'll meet you out there and get you a pizza
3: excellent it's a deal okay hi nice to talk to you again
2: <laughs> you feel better
3: I do. I got that off my chest.
2: <laughs> good, good. Yes, I wish we were in person at, at Roberta's, Roberta's, um, yes. versus Pike, uh, Roberta's versus – Roberta's Now, were you, were you uh, in my computer?
3: article? I, I think you were in the famous article about the food bloggers, or were you not? I, I don't think remember. so. Okay.
2: I don't think you've ever written about me. I'm waiting. Right. I'm waiting for my, my big Vanity Fair
4: piece. Okay. <laughs>
2: But um, I have to say your bio, that was the very condensed version, and I just picked things uh, topical more to this show that we'll talk about. But your bio is like incredible, uh, I, the things you've accomplished, and they're just so varied, actually. So, yeah, I sold, um, r- I sold rubber duckies,
3: and I worked in Mrs. Fields and <laughs> white
2: yeah, so tell tell us a little bit how you got into journalism and started to pursue a career writing. What what led you to uh, that? Well, I
3: was I I was basically um, extremely sexually frustrated, and um or and actually let's go back even a step. I just started writing in notebooks because I didn't know what else to do, and um you know oftentimes it would literally be you know that girl across the room is so pretty how come she won't talk to me you know no no, no girl likes me you know that's how it sort of all starts and then um but ultimately I was living with uh, in LA uh, working for my dad who imported rubber duckies and baby items and I ended up taking a class at um UCLA uh, And in news writing, and my first article that was published was actually about a, um, I didn't intend to write about food, but it was about a garlic festival that took place in the parking lot of the federal building in Westwood near UCLA. And I got in for free, I got to eat, go to the front of the line and eat stuff for free. And I got to meet the garlic queen who'd been like in these crazy Russ Meyer movies in the seventies. And she was, you know, tall and beautiful. And so, and then my college girlfriend who I'd broken up with years ago and was still heartbroken over was working at UCLA and saw the article I wrote about the garlic festival. So it had everything I wanted. Um, that's kind of a, you know, whatever, is that even a true, it's a true story. Is that even the reason I did all this? I have no idea, but in the end I, um, I applied for journalism school, you know, I'd been, I'd been like traveling around Europe, you know, backpacking, writing poetry and living in San Francisco, open mics, kind of before the edge of the internet, San Francisco was kind of depressed and didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, And I applied for journalism school. I went to NYU um, journalism and I quickly got a job uh, internship at the New York post. um, And you know, it turns out I was good at this. And so that I turned that into a job there. And that's kind of the short version.
2: Yeah. So, so did you have, was there like, how did, how, how have you decided over the years, like what to write about? And you said (laughs) you kind of fell into food. I was trying to think how we initially met. And do you remember?
3: (laughs) That's why I really feel like it was because I wrote when I, when I, so I worked at the New York Post until like, Two thousand, And then I went freelance. And then I was writing um, some freelance articles for the New York Times. And this, I had an old journal, journal, journalism professor hooked me up with an editor at the style section of the Times. So that was the place I was usually freelancing and for the old city section. And then um, – um, but one of the first stories I did when I was hired at the Times in 2006 – was actually a tip, I think, from a now a TV writer named Deb, Deb Schoenman, who was a freelancer, and she said, "There's all these people out there who are these self-appointed like food critics. They just go to restaurants and they have blogs, and they write their opinion. And you know, and this was this was revolutionary in 2006 because people used to, you know, the proper restaurant critics used to wait, um, you know." three months before a place for a place to really get on the ground and and anyway I, I feel like we met right around then because I was probably casting a net for well who are these food bloggers and who you know and the first person I met on that story was um Danielle Freeman restaurant girl who wasn't even yet was the food critic at the daily News huh
2: I was thinking you were gonna say that yeah yeah
3: and so Danielle. and Danielle and I were, were at this place that I think this chef's name is nawar Akman tab or I, I think i usually get it uh-huh. wrong but, yeah and he had this place uh, uh, on the, yeah I, I actually hate it sorry but i've never been a fan of his i think he makes food look, that looks good but doesn't taste good and um but anyway well,
2: I'm, a, I'm a fan though and he's of course, he's, you, he's, you're a fan of everybody fan.
3: and that's who you are that's god bless you you're, <laughs> you're in pr you can't shit on anybody but i can so um anyway and it's, it's not reflecting on you that i'm saying this okay so uh, is anyway, we went to his restaurant. It was like literally the place had been open, uh, I would say something between 45 and 55 seconds when we first came in. And we you know, and it's funny because the guys from who were starting Eater were like came in, you know, five minutes later. It was uh, you know, Ben Leventhal and Um Lockhart, and they you know, they, they were literally the only two they started it, and they were the only two still there who, yeah. who were working there at the time. Anyway. And we were all just, you know, and Danielle starts picking apart the chicken and f- trying to figure out why it's not cooked to the bone, and she's asking all. You know, anyway, so that's. I feel like right around then, and 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 then I'll just to, to wrap up that story. Like the photo that was taken, um, was at this restaurant called. Um, uh, momofuku sambar where they had these like korean burritos and there was this hot young chef named david dave, david chang not dave chang then and um it was that was his only place and he came out and served us and it was like me um josh Ozersky, the late great josh Ozersky, who had started grub street and and uh, Lockhart and and Ben, and then Zach from Midtown Lunch, Brooks, and Adam um, Roberts, who is the uh, amateur gourmet. And, you know, it's funny how I'm still sort of – I've become friends with almost everybody who was at that table. So I feel like somewhere in there we met.
2: Yes, I course, agree. I totally it was definitely wrong. that. Yeah,
3: yeah, like 2006. No, seven, it yeah.
2: was because, because that – I mean we – we're from that, I wouldn't say era, or which is <laughs> now it's very different. But we were all very connected. It was new, and then I feel uh, you, I definitely saw you at the the festivals that you yeah. know we we were doing that more the South Beach Wine and Food Festival and things like that. Um, we were always crossing paths. Well,
3: I went there so, because I I had. The, this Lee Schrager, who runs the South Beach and now the New York Food Festival, Food and Wine Festival, um, kept calling me. Because I had written a piece about um, uh, young guys who were trying to start – or young people who were trying to start um, liquor brands. And I wrote a piece about uh, and, and about all these guys. And the, the main guy was um, – Jeffrey Zarnow, who's actually he's the he's the only one in the article whose whose company his liquor is still around. It's um, Star African Rum, and it, it is actually a great product. That one I love. And um, so after that article, I think Lee, who is just a, you know the one of the world's great networkers um, and pushy people, um, just told his publicist, uh, who was then. Um, Oh my God, please don't blank on her name, but I love her. Anyway, I'll think of it in a second. But to contact me. So they kept calling me and calling me and calling me and um uh have lunch with this guy. He runs this thing. It's it's like spring break for chefs, et cetera, et cetera. So I finally had lunch with him at um at um Dave Pasternak's restaurant, Eska. Eska. Which was yeah. um, a fish place, uh, sort of on in, in Midtown East, and also um, no,
2: no, Midtown West, Hell's Kitchen, West. right?
3: Exactly, exactly. 43. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. see, I'm living in California now for like, and all of a sudden, I like, I'm, I'm, t-
2: I'm here. I'm here to, to fill in.
3: So, um, I mean, I lived there for 20 years. So. Um, and I have to also say that Lee doesn't eat fish, but for some reason we met there, and um, That's funny. the the fish was horrendous. And what Lee ordered, oh. the chicken never came. Um, before he had to get on a plane, and and I've never had a, I never had a good meal there. Even though people supposedly used to love that restaurant, I don't. I'm not hating. I hate on every restaurant. These are just two places that I didn't like. So
2: well, they 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 were known for their crudo there, which yeah. I thought was awesome um the restaurant's not open now but yes yeah Uh,
4: anyways continue so well it's
3: actually kind of funny because lee is such a like you know he's arguably one of the most powerful people in kind of food tv and and you know he can make chefs stars and this did not work out so anyway he just I, i went back to my editor at the style section and i i figured he'd say no you know but i what i heard was well there's this place you can there's a story that will take you to florida in february and so that interested me so um anyway i went down there in 2007 and and that is when i saw um well, i had no idea what was going on i did not know that chefs were stars you know i mean i grew up my favorite tv chef was unfortunately a guy who, you know, turned out to have a lot of problems, but it was the uh, the frugal gourmet, Jeff Smith. And I loved his cookbooks and everything. He, by the way, far outsold Julia Child during his lifetime um, in terms of his cookbooks. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so the, there was like these, um, you know, there was, Bobby Flay had handlers and women were throwing themselves at him, which of course Bobby hated. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was John Rosen, who was the the uh, agent, uh, William Mars agent, who was repping Bobby, and Ray, that's when I met Rachel Ray, and I met all those people then. And then I realized there's something going on here, and that's really what led me to write um, the the book from scratch, and that is when I was really going to a lot of festivals, after I left the Times – I left in, like, the end of 2009. That's when I went for, like, two years. I went to every festival everywhere I possibly could, from the Cayman Islands to – it was really hard work – from Cayman Islands to Pebble Beach.
2: Yeah, because I used to go to a lot of festivals, too. And, and yeah, I feel I definitely – that's definitely one one of the reasons we know each other or got to know each other a little better. Um, But, like, yeah, what – I mean, you just kind of – you kind of you just answered it about the book but like when do you cuz i mean my tip with like deep dives like your your research like the the articles you write i would say you you definitely dive deep into subject yeah. matters and and then i didn't mention but uh, a couple years ago you you wrote a whole book on on what's it, the method to to the madness, untold stories of Donald Trump's 16-year quest for the White House. So you went. I mean, that that's a whole different subject. But what inspires you to like dive deep into into a story and really go for well,
3: it? Well, one thing is, I like to take baths and I like to sit in hot water of all kinds, um, jacuzzis, whatever, and you say, and then just not think, and then usually that's when I realize all of a sudden, all these things I've been experiencing might come into focus and, and uh, realize there's a story there. So um, <sighs> yeah, I've done a lot of different things. And even the, you know, talk about the Trump book, like that, that comes out of me working at the New York Post in the nineties and everybody there had Donald Trump on their speed dial. And I actually learned a you know, I learned a lot about public relations as, as anybody could, if they studied Donald Trump, because one thing that I, and I have always done this, um, before, you know, before even he was who he became, um, in terms of politics, but just as a media figure, that guy, if a newspaper, if any reporter called him, he would call back within five minutes. And that is how you end up in the story. Yeah. You, you have That's to, cause news reporters are busy. They'll call somebody else or they, or all of a sudden they'll realize, yeah, I didn't really need that guy anyway. And they won't, and you'll call them and you'll just be annoying. Them. You got to either take the call or call back within five minutes. And I always do that unless it's, unless I just can't. Um. So anyway, I just, you know, obviously when he, um, that was just one of those things where I just started thinking about, it's so an example of all the other things like, um, I just started thinking there was something about Trump that I knew. Um, and actually, that came to me because uh, there's a co, my co author, Aaron Short, who was a, a, also a reporter who'd worked in, uh, still works in New York, kind of came to me looking for, you know, something to work on. And I said, well, what do you, what do you, there's only one, this is like 2016 or 17. I said, there's only one story now, it's Donald Trump what do you got you know and he had great contacts with a lot of people so i mean i guess i just i here's the thing i liked to even though there's been a thousand books written about donald trump i felt like the story of him kind of as a new yorker and as somebody who actually had the story everyone had the story wrong about him you know that I I understood from having you know the work I did and also from what Aaron had presented to me that uh, he had been studying and thinking about seriously about how to become president for at least twenty years that this was not some lark and that he and you know I'm not here to defend Donald Trump only to say that it wasn't just an accident that he won in 2016 and yes right. and- he did not he didn't think people make this mistake. I'll just say this. He on election night, he did not think he was going to win because the polls said he wasn't going to win. But when he started to run, when he came down the escalator, he thought he had a chance of winning. And that was all that he ever asked for in terms of a run. He could I win this maybe if everything went right? And he'd been studying that for twenty years. So anyway, and the same thing with the the Food Network book, which was, um, you know, working on a podcast. And right now, I can hear in my in my headphones like my voice is not as normal, sort of rich deepness, because I was up till three in the morning last night working on something. But um, the I the think the you food, sound Thank you. The food. I have a really good mic. The Food Network. Um, Book was because I, you know, I don't, li- I don't really like to write the same about the same subjects everybody else is, and it just looked to me like nobody else had to that point uh, written about how this whole crazy world had come to be. Now, David Kampf wrote a great book, The United States of Arugula, which talked about sort of how we became a gourmet nation, and had some parts about Food Network but what i realized was the food network and food t- that was really the story of how we of why we're even sitting here now why there's enough people who care yeah,
2: yeah. so it's just no, that you know i could um, tell you a thousand
3: stories and even the, the you know you want to talk about the be, uh, bad vegan i mean yeah we
2: should you know talk, we should talk okay. about the vegan i'll
3: let you it's ask a question bad so vegan. i don't keep rambling. yeah
2: well i mean well, I mentioned it in, in, in the part of your bio I read about you had this Vanity Fair piece that came out in 2016 where you, you talked about this, you covered this story. And I just watched the documentary, the four part series this weekend. And even though I, I was here, I lived through like, you know, I've been to f- Pure Food and Wine. I knew Sarma on. it was a great you know, restaurant. A, a,
3: great
2: restaurant. It was a great restaurant. And I, you know, I was here for her, Matthew Kenny, when they were like the hot couple and the hot restaurant. And I knew her like as someone in the industry, I didn't know her super well. But even though I was here and I felt like I knew the story and when it broke, you know, the whole thing. Anyways, I was watching the documentary and I'm like, whoa, like, wow. Like, and it's like disturbing and it's crazy. And you are you are like you're like the main you're like a main character in it.
3: Well you're a storyteller. I think, Sherry, I think so, yeah that's a word. You could also use the word star.
2: You are a star in this movie. Everyone oh, thank or you. this thank documentary. You. Okay. Watch Which it.
3: Which is horrible. Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: Go watch it. Um but tell tell us about I mean I mean, talk about it, about your coverage of it. And then over the years, I mean you you kept up with this and you know you know a lot more about the, about the story than, than someone watching it or even me from the outside. But it was very interesting. And even to see people like Jeffrey Chattaro in it and just, um, it's, it's quite a, a story.
3: (laughs) Well,
4: uh,
3: the, the kind of, the story there is that, um, I taught a class for media bistro on how to pitch, how to be a freelance writer and pitch to editors and sell your stories. One of my students then, yes. And then I actually taught one in my apartment the same, you know, I just started, Oh, I'll keep all the money. Right. So, but I actually taught media. I had the idea that media bistro back in the day should even teach classes and this became, you know, a whole industry for them. But, um, one of my students back then who went, has gone on to become a very good editor, a great editor and writer in her own right obviously is Gabriella Gershenson. and Gabriella who be- became the food editor of Time Out New York which i assume does not exist anymore and um
2: no it still exists oh, yeah? it exists it's okay. only online but it is. Anyways, a huh? lot of a lo- the the people who the like Gabriella like there was um
3: Jordana, Jordana.
2: i mean people who been in that editor food editor role have done very well with their careers. Oh yeah. In, Jordana
3: Jordana but, was also Jordana yeah. was sort of and I don't mean to like denigrate people by saying, well, they were my assistant or my student. Like, you know, Jordana is a very powerful <laughs> and successful woman in her own right now, of course. And but she's I met her because she I did – my first book was about Festivus, the holiday for the rest of us. And Jordana mm-hmm. was sort of my assistant when I was promoting that book actually, <laughs> not even when I was writing it. She kind of helped me do the parties and the whole thing for that book. So, And so then I actually introduced her to Gabriella. Uh, Gabriella started out writing a, um, a food – a weekly food column for the New York Press, the alt-weekly. And then that led to her getting hired at Time Out of New York. And she – so anyway, so Gabriella called me in 2006 and said that she wanted me to do a piece on Matthew Kenny who was well known for being uh, handsome for opening restaurants that got buzz and for then not paying any of his contractors or staff or landlords and screwing everybody possible out of money and somehow always landing on his feet and never seeming to mind how many people he'd hurt. So um, that was the story and uh you know unfortunately, time out in new york a lot this happens a lot of times, like they wanted a good story but and I delivered I think a pretty good story, but they couldn't really handle a serious piece of investigative journalism, and they kind of cut it in half and it's it was matthew it was successful in that Matthew hated it and has never talked to me since um And has continued as far as I can tell to behave in the ways that I described, despite his fame uh, ever growing. Um, And if you notice, by the way, he's even tried to. He's not in the
2: movie. I was kind of. I mentioned him in the start. I mentioned him in the start of the the movie. movie.
3: Of course, he should have been in it, but you know, it didn't serve Matthew to do it, so he didn't do it. Look, uh, I—he's again, he's a brilliant chef, okay, and somebody who I do not like. And and when I see what he just did again where it looks like to TMZ, and maybe there's another news source, like he sees Sarmas getting, Melngelis is getting all this attention for bad vegan, bad or good attention. And so he decides that he's going to, you know, talk to a reporter and say, well, I'll support her opening a new restaurant. Uh, she's, I, I seriously doubt that Sarma would be interested in doing so. And if you read, um, anyway, he's, <laughs> I wouldn't go into business with that guy. So
2: so have you stayed close to Sarma all of these years is that?
3: So what happened like, was yeah yeah I mean, I mean to say close you know I wrote the story about Kenny Matthew Kenny in 2006 Sarma was an important source for that article um, you know she confided a lot of stuff that was that had happened and and then I didn't see her again actually until 2013 when the Food Network book came out it was it was a party actually at Laurel Toby's house uh you know the person who started Media Beast. I was there. Um, yeah, that was a great part. I mean I, <laughs> we brought the elevator. Uh it was Laurel's never had so many people again to a, a party. But um yeah, it was almost like a food network reunion. It was it was kind of weird and fun. Uh-huh. So, I
2: remember
3: that. It was great. Um, so Sarma was at that party. And that's the only time that I saw her be- – and sh- she was already with the guy that you see in Bad Vegan with Anthony Stranges, Shane Fox. Um, but I didn't know any of that, of course. And I wasn't – we were sort of like – we. I think we tweeted each other now and then. I see a tweet from her in her sort of archives. But I saw her then. There's a there's a photo that they show, I think, in in Bad Vegan of us at that party. And then um, – and then – so it would be, you know, we, like I said, we, so she came to the party. I, I tweeted her now and then. And then um, I saw when I was in California, um, I was working on a script. We're trying to pitch a pilot. I, I wrote a pilot script for a series, which would be like behind the scenes at the Food Network as it started in its early days. And it was sort of a comedy. And I had a a TV co writer. We're still trying to sell that. Uh, So if anyone's listening, it's available. Let's let's make some television history. And um, but I was we were taking a break from writing the script with my uh, writing partner Angel Dean Lopez. And um, I saw the news that uh, you know come across. Probably I was looking at the New York Post app or something. And this was in right twenty early twenty sixteen that Sarma Melgales had been arrested at a motel outside dollywood because she ordered a she was on the run after having stiffed a bunch of investors and that she'd ordered a domino's pizza and gotten busted. You know, the tr- cops had traced the pizza to her.
2: Yeah, I, I remember was, when that all that whole story broke. I mean, everyone was like, "Whoa."
3: Yeah. I, you know, and you would whoa or you, what the fuck is another way of saying whoa. So Um, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm still that PR language.
3: I know. So that's like, you know what, when there's somebody who's so in PR like you, I just, I like feel this need to like curse and be like difficult and insulting to people. It just, it brings that out of me. Um, so,
2: good. uh, I'm glad I do that for you.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, um, but I'm a, I'm a nice guy. So anyway, so, uh, Anyway, I, I long story short on that is that I, I saw this happened. I thought, well, I know her. I had written some articles about when Graydon Carter opened, um, was, was doing the, how he did the seating chart every night for Monkey Bar and for with the Waverly Inn. So I knew him, and I thought I'd left the Times already. And I thought, well, maybe I could pitch a story to Vanity Fair. But you know what? I'm not going to do it because I don't really know. You know, just. I, I know Sarma, maybe she'd let me, she let me in and tell me what the hell is actually going on. This seems insane, but, um, why should I write a magazine piece? Right. They're just going to, in the end, they'll offer to pay me a lot of money, but then they'll cut the word count and I won't make a lot of money. And then, um, they'll cut it in half, like right before publication and then they'll kill it. It'll never even run. And I'll, you know, it just, the whole thing will be a big heartbreak and a disaster. I don't want to do it. So then, um, my fiance I called Sarah Ventiera, who's also a food writer and other kind of journalist that you know. And um she said, just pitch it to them. I love Sarah. Yeah, Sarah's Sarah's much nicer than me. So um so we uh I, I pitched it to Vanity Fair and they said yes. And then I, I still have the uh, screen grab of the text messages between that Sarma I called Sarma's lawyer, Sheila, the first one, Sheila Tendi. And, you know, not every lawyer wants to make their client available. But, uh, you know, I think because Sarma trusted me because of that other article, I became the person who, you know, I mean, the other people had written about it. You know, there was there was sort of news coverage and the Daily Beast did a very good story kind of tracing the social media history between, you know, Shane Fox, Anthony Stranges, and Sarma that was really, you know, a very good piece. But, you know, somehow... Because I, I had Sarma and she – I remember sitting in her lawyer's office when I first heard about the dog, right? And I knew Leon. I don't – I must have met him when I first did this story. No, I actually, I must not have. This was – I don't think I only met Leon after her arrest. But I remember, you know, I saw him on social media and everything. And so when she first told me that there was something about a dog and she was promised that he'd be made immortal – it was one of those things where you're like, you're writing in your notebook because Sheila didn't want me to uh, record it. So I was taking notes and you just sort of like, you know, you sort of look up, you know, you look at the lawyer with one eyebrow and you kind of look over and you're just like, the mortal dog. Ooh, okay. This sounds like a good story, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so.
2: Yeah. Well, we from there. it's, I mean, we're, we're, if I had a longer show, I would dive into it deeper even with you, but people the it's, it's, it's fascinating. And you are, a, I will say it, you're a star in this documentary. People should go watch it. And, and it's um yeah, it's quite the story. And I, I, um, I think I'm going to have to go back and watch it again, especially look at that party. Maybe, maybe I'm in the background. <laughs>
3: well, the photo <laughs> is teasing. of, maybe the photo is of me, Sarma, and actually Bill Boggs. Who was a is oh, okay. or was a okay. TV news personality cool. who also had an early show on the Food yeah. Network.
2: All right, well, congratulations on covering that and being in this. This it's 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 very it's very well done, and um, and it was fun to see you too, just having known you and in, in this is this big role. So, um, before we take a break. I'm going to ask you my question from my next, my last guest on episode 319. I had on award-winning chef and restaurateur who has several restaurants in South Florida, including the Catherine Miss Baloo and Blue Walla. And his name is Timon Baloo And he wants to know, what would you eat for your last meal on Earth? Would it be one item or an actual meal? But What would it be?
3: Well, you got to have a meal, and. You know, my, here's the Sorry. answer that's always my last meal has always is. I love for I mean i will say that I love Greek food more than any any other food and you know in Greece um, to me it's it's just the best and it makes me feel good and you know just the, the sitting outside by the Aegean Sea and everything and it sounds so privileged right now it's annoying but but really the I think the best thing I ever ate <laughs> that I would like to have again was one of those um like uh lambs that they cook in Patagonia that you can see if you watch um chef's table with what's his name uh that south uh, uh what's his name I can't remember right now but Anthony the, Bourdain No 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 oh. Um No
2: um oh Central where are
3: we Oh, oh what's his name
2: with Virgilio? Where are
3: you? No, the guy – he has a restaurant in Miami now, but he's a famous – he's got restaurants all over South America. He's like a super genius. He's got like seven wives or whatever. He's polyamorous and anyway, – whatever I'm blanking on. But um, I, was, I was once uh, – after I wrote the Festivus book, I went to live in Buenos Aires for um, – for a little while and I traveled down, I ended up going to Antarctica on a, on a boat and, but before I did, there's a town called Ushuaia, which is on the Southern tip of South America. And I just remember they'd have these, you know, barbecues basically. And they would, they would, you know, crucify a lamb basically, you know, they, they cut it in half and open it up and butterfly it on a massive, you know, the whole beast would be on one giant stick. And, um, They'd lean them up like three or four bodies, lamb bodies, um, in a teepee around fire. And um, they would just cook these things all day long, you know, and the, the fat would melt. And the, I mean, this is not a vegan meal. And that lamb was just, you know, because it was just raised in like fresh air and Patagonian grasslands and um, – Ah, man, that was just the best thing I ever ate. So that's what I would want. So my last meal.
2: Well, that sounds like a fantastic meal and last meal. Um, So that's a good answer. I like it. And um, yeah, I want that now. Okay. So on that note, let's take a little break. We'll come back. We'll we'll play my speed round. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
1: If there's one thing we can all agree on in the restaurant industry, it's that the working world has gotten weird. It makes sense to be thinking about your options and how to build your career in 2022. Health insurance, benefits, a 401k match. A job at Singer gives you the chance to start fresh while still working in the hospitality world you know and love, but from a different perspective. Work alongside kitchen and tabletop designers to be a part of restaurant openings all over New York City and beyond. Join our team of food service experts committed to the future of hospitality. Singer Equipment Company, now hiring. Industry-leading service provided by industry leaders. Singer Equipment Company. Visit singerequipment.com careers to apply today.
4: This episode is brought to you by BentoBox, a restaurant marketing and commerce platform that helps you get discovered, make more money, and engage your diners so you can deliver great hospitality both in person and online. Did you know that over 70% of diners research a restaurant online before going in person? Your digital front door is more important than ever. Let BentoBox design and build you a website with online ordering and catering e-commerce, and event management that is optimized specifically for restaurants. With built-in marketing tools like SEO and automated email campaigns, keeping your diners engaged and coming back has never been easier. Join over 8,000 restaurants that leverage BentoBox to power their digital presence and deliver great hospitality. Visit GetBento.com HRN today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash HRN.
2: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Alan Sulkin. He's a world-renowned writer on politics, culture, and trends. And he's featured in the Netflix four-part documentary, Bad Vegan, Fame, Fraud, Fugitives, which is now out and you can... Check it out, and I highly recommend that you do. So, Alan, it's time for my speed round game. What this is is I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Are you ready?
3: Yep, I think so.
2: I'm like born ready. You're born ready. Okay. Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant?
3: Restaurant at home. At home.
2: What? <laughs> okay.
3: I want both. Did you say I don't, restaurant, no, home. No, I refuse. I refuse. You I deny refuse? it. I will okay. not answer.
2: No problem. Up. Indoor dining or alfresco dining?
3: Yeah. Emma, there's no speed round for me. You know, it just it depends. It depends where you are. It depends what the season is. It depends where where the uh, here's the answer. It depends what the chef wants you to do. What is the what is the peak experience that you could have at that place? That's what I want. Is it beautifully designed indoors by like genius architects? or are we in Greece and we gotta eat by the seaside? It just depends.
2: You are not gonna like the, the rest of this game. I'll
3: keep going. I'll keep <laughs> screwing with you.
2: I'm gonna go through them. We'll see. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail or champagne.
3: I'm going to say mocktail, be, even though I like wine, because the you know the mocktail game has, has is so much better than it used to be, and it's such like a it's what I always wanted to happen that there was actually really good options. So I'll go mocktail. Yeah.
2: I like it. Tasting menu or a la carte. Am I
3: allowed to it's not? I'm allowed to say more than one word.
2: You're allowed to skip it or just say no. Yeah, we'll just, just we'll just get through it.
3: Okay, go ahead. So what's it? Sorry, tasting menu.
2: Tasting menu, okay. Always. Small plates or large plates? Large. Always, always large. Yeah, and there's no there's no right or wrong on this. It's just a game. So. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, communal table or chef's communal.
3: counter? Oh no, chef's counter. <laughs> I like both of those things. These are more questions because your communal, you is, know, is, is anyway, it my- go ahead.
2: I know, I know. This could be a, a four-hour conversation on each one, but we're just going to fly right Go through because it's Go a speed ahead. round. Okay, I got tipping or all-inclusive charge?
3: All-inclusive.
2: Writing books or writing articles?
3: Books. I like the marathon. All right,
2: the marathon horses or or chickens because i feel like you're living somewhere where there are horses i have
3: both chickens. i own horses and i own chickens and donkeys and goats literally right before this have we were putting pretty-
2: preference of those or are they all your children <sighs> say it again
3: i said oh um
2: oh you just i mean here's okay.
3: the here's the problem um Chickens, they provide food for you. They lay eggs. It's wonderful. But then horses are horses. That's my answer.
2: That is a great, great point. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert?
3: Dessert. But sometimes cheese plate.
2: Manhattan, Brooklyn, or L.A.? L.A. Done. You made it.
3: (sighs) Oh, can I say something about that last one or no?
2: Yeah, you could say something.
3: All right, so the the great thing about LA versus New York eating is is the, simply this space, you know. And and it's very hard. And that's just one of the shames about pure food and wine. That was a great space in which there's still no restaurant, but it was unusual. So many times you go in New York restaurants, they're just they can only be certain sizes, you know, because of the buildings. You know, I know that's mm-hmm. so. I just there's so many different places you can eat in LA that's more interesting.
2: Okay, okay. I'm, I'm with done. you. And yeah, and you can also dine more outside yearly because the weather.
3: Well, but no, so, but that's where um, there was until the pandemic, there weren't a lot of great options. It was a real uh, problem in LA. The, the zoning made it so uh, difficult. There, there wasn't, everyone was worried about parking so much that there wasn't. And so now a lot of parking lots have been turned into outdoor dining and it's way better. And there's a lot of like, it's going to be a big debate coming. About where, what are we going to let?
2: Same here in New York.
3: Yeah, it's right. That's right. The sidewalks. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So cool. All right, that's wonderful. You did it. You made it. The for industry news this week. So this article I saw and it looked like an article you wrote. Uh, I was surprised you didn't because um, it's in Vanity Fair and it's t- entitled. I'll let the chips fall where they may. The life and confessions of mob chef David Ruggiero, and this was by Gabriel Sherman, and is talking about how celebrity chef David Ruggiero admitted to a secret double life as a made man in the mob. In the interview, he talks about um, he admitted to being a a soldier in the Gambino crime family, and he was a major. I mean, he was a, a chef very well known. Uh, in New York City, it actually, it's so interesting. One of the first restaurants he worked at that was from La Caravelle, which is Rita Jamais restaurant. And so this um, this was uh, it, I don't know breaking news. Did you? I'm sure you saw this.
3: Well, I did, and, and I sent. I didn't read the WS2. article yet, but <laughs> um, but Gabriel Sherman's a very good reporter.
2: I skimmed and- it; it's very long.
3: Well, you should have Gabriel yeah. on your show. He's great. We've done we sort of crossed paths many times, and also interestingly, I had Ruggiero was in the Food Network book and for criminal problems. Now, I did not do the you know I didn't get this confession, and nor do the work that Gabriel did for this article. But um, he Rogerio was supposed to have a Food Network show. He was almost going to be like Emerald,
4: yeah.
3: and right before I think they even taped one or two of the episodes but they never ran because he got busted for some credit card thing where people were being overcharged there was there was some problem with credit cards which is now when you understand there was organized crime involved that's probably what was going on and that torpedoed his you know TV career so i do i was i was not surprised when i read the yeah. ar- when i saw of the article and you know i don't know if it's online yet i think i don't know if, and i don't know if my copy of the magazine has arrived
2: it is online. That's where I saw okay. it. Um, okay. So that, I mean, cause I don't have the, yeah, it's online. Um, I think after a certain number of articles, you, like you read one or two free, but then um, that's well, over. So, but I, I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting story.
3: First of all, Vanity Fair is on Apple News, which again? is a, Vanity Fair is on Apple News, which is only 9.99 a month, which is a hell of a deal for everything you get on there. And then secondly, you could subscribe to Vanity Fair for like 15 bucks a year for the digital, so or even I think you get the print too, so. Come on, Sherry.
2: All right. All right. All right. I mean, I'm someone I subscribe to things I do as especially as a publicist. Um but yeah, I did. I'm. I I did read my right, free right, article there, You're or okay. skim it. It's long. These Vanity Fair pieces are. You know, I mean, they're they're almost like books. So, but it's. I want to go back and and look into it more because it's very it's very interesting and it's someone you know who's um, a chef in the, who who yeah celebrity chef who was uh, attached to the mob. So he's coming out now. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's a interesting story. So that's in industry news this week. And for my solo dining experience this week, I share that now. I went to a place called Bon Vietnamese Shop House. So here's the rundown. The location 942 Amsterdam Avenue at 106th Street on the Upper West Side in New York City the concept is a celebration of Vietnamese culture through food. The owners are John Nguyen and chef Noon Ton. Why did I go? Well, I heard really great things about this place and my experience was this last weekend on Saturday. It was it was nice out here. It got very cold. It's like freezing today, but over the weekend it wasn't freezing. It was I was able to walk all the way up there kind of spontaneously and um, it was busy when I got there around 6.30. So I decided just to get some takeout and took like less than 10 minutes. And then I walked over to the Riverside Park and, and sat outside and ate that. And and then I biked home. So I had a nice day. And what did I get? Well, I got the Bon mi barbecue pork, which is char-fired pork belly, scallion, scallion oil, and hoisin sauce. My take, I loved it. I mean, the char-fired pork is just delicious it had the smoky flavor it was really nice um highly recommend the the ambience at the restaurant it's pretty casual it's like uh has a long banquet along one side of the restaurant with wood tables the other side is an open kitchen and they had an outdoor dining shed speaking of outdoor dining uh, perfect for dining with friends i'd say interesting tidbit Pete Wells gave the restaurant a wonderful review in the New York Times in August 2021. It was a critic's pick, and this restaurant actually started as a pop-up but has become permanent. Personal fun fact, I ran into my friend and client I've worked with on and off over the years, uh, Jim Leahy of Sullivan Street Bakery. He had had the same idea. He had walked up there with with his family and friends and was, uh, was going to have he dinner stoned? inside. So that was fun.
3: Was he stoned? Was he
2: stoned? I didn't... Um, I didn't Jim was notice usually or ask. Okay, well, he well let wasn't me say this too. Hold on, I want, I
3: want to I want to, You have to say this, yeah. but you cannot mention Jim Leahy without saying that he is one of the greatest geniuses of the of this entire era of food. I mean, he reinvented bread. You know that I want recipe. A Vanity
2: Fair piece on
3: him. I mean, the recipe that that Mark Bittman <laughs> wrote about with the. The no need bread, with the slow rise, yes. is just in the in the um. F- uh, what do you call it? Uh, I'm sort of like a, a biking on my words. But whatever. It revolutionary. Know, the, it was, yeah. It was absolutely. It's, it's it's and it's so good. Jim Leahy deserves like he just it is. He deserves a MacArthur Genius Grant. He should never have to work again. He he has done something amazing that's changed lives.
2: I'm gonna. I'm. I love Jim, and I feel very grateful that he has yeah. become a friend. What's that?
3: I've told him this, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. You
2: know? Oh, you told him this. Well, he still works. I mean, he still works very hard, and he's, he's very appreciated. And you're right. I mean, Sylvan Street Bakery and his bread and everything he does is fantastic, and he's good people. So, um, yeah, it was I it was fun running into him to wrap up my. My my little one solo dining here. I'll just say the cost of this meal, this bun, Me sandwich. But I have was to $12. make this the most it's difficult
3: a, podcast that you've ever done.
2: Oh, this oh, is sorry. this has been okay. a breeze. Sorry, go ahead. I'm almost done, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I want to go back with other people so I can eat more things on the menu and share. And their website's N-Y. It's like it's like it's b a n h n y. Dot com. That's their website. And they're also on Instagram at bond NYC. Um, okay. A- any more? You're, I'm done with yeah, that. Yeah. I want to say about so because You mentioned
3: Pete Wells. Point. I just want to talk about Pete Wells as a, 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 a guy, a very a great writer, obviously. And also just, you know, a sincere guy who is really trying to do his best. That's what my take, because I worked with him at the, at the times. In fact, he edited some of the, uh, the second article I wrote about Lee Schrager in the South beach wine festival. And he's a, he, you before he was yeah. the food critic, he was the f- editor of the food section and a very good one.
2: Yeah. Well, that's nice. I think it's tough to be a food critic. I think also it's tough to do what you do with reporting. And I mean, you definitely have different skin than I do and are good with, or okay with people not liking you. I, <laughs> I, um, I like, I like, I like people to like me.
3: Yeah. So. <laughs> I like me. You know what the tr- the sad part is? I like people to like me too. I don't like when people don't like me. and Yeah. And it's just, but it's, and but yeah, it, you catch more honey with it, whatever. You catch more flies with honey or whatever, but I can't help it.
2: But as a journalist and doing, I mean, I, I get it, but I think, I, I guess I'm saying, I think it would be hard for me to do your job. It would be hard for me to do Pete's job just as, because yeah. it's, there's, you know. Not everyone's going to like you for what you write. But on that note, let's do the final question. So my next guest is Hillary Sterling. She's the executive chef at Chisiamo in New York City, which is a relatively new live fire cooking. uh, Well, it's it's a restaurant doing live fire cooking and house-made pasta, and it's part of Danny Meyer's Union Square Hospitality Group. And it's fantastic. And guess where I had lunch today? Uh, Chisiamo. And um, I can't wait to talk to Hillary. I've known her for quite a while, and I love her cooking. And I love this new restaurant. So, uh, Alan, can you please ask a question for Hillary?
3: I have. It's a two parter uh, because there's two things uh-huh. that interest me. Um, how did they deal with uh, the New York City building code with an open flame? Um with him since they're doing live fire and then, and then sort of the second real, it's just two questions is what it is. Um, What, what is actually new and truly interesting that's going to blow my mind at your restaurant for somebody who's jaded and has eaten at so many great places already.
2: Okay. I'll ask. I also think you just need to go there and discover.
3: Yeah, but maybe I'll discover but I don't like it. I'll
2: tell you one thing that I, I want her. To, I, would I want say, her to convince not me. Like you're yeah, me.
3: Yeah, no, I am asking you.
2: They have this onion tart dish that's like, oh my I'm sold. god!
3: I'm sold. Oh, I love go it. For the onion onion tart. tart. Yeah, I love it. That, that's the answer. I like it. I would go for the onion tart. An hey, onion I tart it, is I a rare it, and it's, delicious it's, thing. It's, yeah. it's
2: unbelievable.
3: There's not yes, enough onion tart. So that's
2: one. No, no, you don't. But I'm going to ask her your question, see what she says, because the question was for her, not me. Um, That's the show. I wish we had more time to chat, but you're fabulous and your career is truly fabulous.
4: Do you think people are going to Uh, like me after
3: listening to this or are they going to just think I'm like an arrogant?
2: I think people are going to like you. For being arrogant. Okay. Well, what do you want me to say? (laughs) They're going to hate you? I don't know. They're gonna like you, it's and they're, gonna be, they're gonna be. Um, okay. intri- we could. They're gonna be intrigued to to watch this documentary and to check out your articles and to follow great. your career more because um, you cover you cover great things. Thank you, Sherry. And um, let me know when you're back in New York City, and we'll maybe we'll get go get that pizza, have a meal together. Yes. Yes. But much, much. Wishing you much continued success. And you too. In Hyda, Thank Sarah. you. Thank you. My guest today has been Alan Salkin. He's a world renowned writer on politics, culture, and trends. He most recently covered and is featured in the Netflix four part documentary, Bad Vegan Fame Fraud. Fugitives about the bizarre story of Sarma Mengelis. His website is alan.salkin.com, and you can follow him on social media at alan salkin. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. My websites BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin. Thanks again to Alan. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you as always for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
4: World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip.
0: So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks.
4: I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian
3: refugees with Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen. I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We
0: all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really
3: need our help. So if you want to help Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, Find hashtag ChefsForUkraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember
4: hashtag ChefsForUkraine.
1: Hi, I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. Today, I'm asking business owners to take part in our business membership drive by supporting HRN's mission with a $500 membership. HRN will shine a light on your work and you'll help sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food as a thank you for this tax deductible donation your business will receive on-air mentions social media posts listings on our website and more you'll also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air go to heritageradionetwork.org/biz to become a business member today That's heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. Thank you for your support.